reading from Mark uh, chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going, a little, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their, left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Thank you, Andy. <clears throat> well, good morning. We continue this morning in our new series out of the Gospel of Mark, uh, Doing What Jesus Does. And I was preparing for this morning, I was just thinking about what it means to be a Christian and what we often tell people or how we often communicate what it means to be a Christian. And of course, that's a, depending on how you look at it, a complex thing. There's a couple of ways to answer that, depending on what you want to emphasize. Becoming a Christian or being a Christian could be kind of a relational thing, that we have a new relationship with God, we have a relationship with Jesus. It can be practice-based. Uh, we read our Bibles, we go to church, we serve these different things. It can be kind of, well, we don't like the word ritual, but it can be ritual-based, that being a Christian means you've been baptized and that you receive uh, the Lord's table. However often your church does it. There's all these different ways of talking about how or what being a Christian means. And all those things are true. None of those things are, are false. But I think sometimes one of the things we forget about being a Christian, at least when I was growing up, and again, I've said this multiple times and I'll keep saying it, uh, I guess until, well, anyway, it's always dangerous to be preaching to the church full of your old Sunday school teachers. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you, what I'm about to say, it's never a so boo on you, you know, um, I think... I think I had really good, wonderful Sunday school teachers, some of the best Sunday school teachers, in fact, but I think even with the best, uh, we still have lies and, and distortions that creep into our minds. And one of those things was that what it meant to be a Christian was that when you gave your life to Jesus, he kind of handed you this golden ticket to heaven and, said, and patted you on the head and said, okay, great, I'll see you at the end. And that was basically it. Now, there's some truth to that, obviously. When we come to Jesus, he saves us and, and prepares a place for us in the Father's house, and that's a secure thing. But becoming a Christian also means that we become involved in God's tremendous work going on in the world, his war against evil, his mending of human lives. And that is really the spirit and the driving force behind this series in Mark, doing what Jesus does. And the Gospel of Mark is an account of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And Mark gets right to it. The action begins immediately. Jesus more or less walks out of nowhere, gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then wham, the powers of darkness are there. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Later in chapter 1, he drives a demon out of a guy. And part of what Mark wants us to confront is that Jesus did not float down like Glinda the Good Witch to Munchkinland to offer us some advice he parachuted into enemy-held territory. 
And Mark is a story about the collision of kingdoms, the kingdom of God invading the rebellious kingdom of the evil one. And this is the fight that we still find ourselves in today. It's ongoing. Jesus won the decisive victory on the cross, but there's still some mopping up to be done. I've heard it compared in the past to D-Day. D-Day was the decisive victory of the war in Europe, but they didn't actually defeat uh, the Nazis in Germany until some time later. So we find ourselves in a similar place. And throughout church history, the powers of darkness have sought to silence the announcement of the new king. Because wherever the good news of God's kingdom is proclaimed, men and women are freed. They are released from their bondage and their sins. Even today, the blood of martyrs is spilled in nations around the world. Murdered for following Jesus. Murdered for witnessing to to a loving power greater than terror, wealth, or military might. And this witness is what we call evangelism. And my, how we dislike evangelism. Not all of us, certainly, and none of us, depending on who's doing the evangelizing. I think pictured here is a local area youth group who's just been told that they have to go tell people the gospel. But when we think about our own personal responsibility to proclaim the good news, we hope that that's actually somebody else's job. And look, I get it. I don't really like it either. I am also a shy person, and the prospect of turning to the stranger at the next table at Hardee's and going, have you heard the good news, friend, (laughs) sends shivers of horror down my spine. Sharing our faith can be incredibly awkward, even with people we do know. There was a situation once with a friend I had in China where we had been friends for a couple of months, and so at some point... He said something or something, but I thought, okay, today's the day. I'm, I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to you know, show him the good news. And so we had this long conversation. I thought it was really great that he was listening and receptive and all these things. I gave him a Bible. I gave him this really nice uh, Bible. I was like, hey, you know, read that. Maybe not at the, don't start at the beginning because it gets really weird really fast. But about halfway through the, these stories about Jesus, and you should read those. Um, and he left the coffee shop, and I watched him through the window, cross the street, dump the Bible in the trash, and then carry on down the street. I went and retrieved it and everything. But sometimes it could just be really awkward, right? And that ended the relationship. And sometimes that's a real danger is that when we try and have these conversations with somebody, it ends the relationship. Sharing our faith is very intimidating. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know the answer to some question that they ask? And on top of that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are not eager to hear someone else's opinions about how to run their lives. <laughs> Some of our workplaces may have policies against explicit evangelizing activity. And here in central Illinois, I think one of our, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's just what it is, our kind of cultural expectation is that we keep our noses out of one another's business until someone explicitly asks for help, which we rarely do because we're good independent people. And again, there's good things and bad things about that, but sharing the good news cuts across all of those lines. Sharing our faith can expose our own lack of holiness, right? Who am I to be telling this person about Jesus when I consider my own life? Our ignorance of the Bible, our inability to clearly and easily explain the things of God. We don't want to come across as judgmental or bigoted or holier than thou. Everyone gets to kind of choose their own truth, How can Christians dare to insist that there is actually just the one truth and it happens to be the one that Christians believe? 
Sharing our faith is not easy. We shouldn't expect it to be. The evil one is constantly resisting the spread of the gospel. But my hope is that we can leave this morning with a clear understanding of what it really means, what the Lord really expects of us in sharing the good news, and with a better handle on the joy and the light burden that sharing our faith can actually be. It doesn't have to be terrifying. We see in John, or excuse me, in Mark, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And evangelism for Jesus meant to make an announcement. He went to Galilee and he proclaimed. That's what that means. He made an announcement. And it's the same idea as a news broadcast or the announcements that we do here at the beginning of our own service. And I heard someone, uh, as they were talking about sharing their own faith, uh, the way they described it was getting other people to think the way that we do. And I think that every word in that description is incorrect. An announcement is very different from an explanation, an argument, or an opinion. Whether you agree or understand that the nodding party thing is happening on Saturday with MCC, it'll happen. It's not up for me to convince you that we're going to show up here and not quilts. Like it's happening whether you get it or whether you receive it or not. Your choice is to answer the invitation or not show up, which you should show up. (laughs) It's similar to the gospel. Sharing our faith means making an announcement. That's it. It doesn't have to involve explanation. It doesn't have to involve any convincing. It doesn't have to involve any argument. And by argument, I mean like presenting arguments for things, not actually arguing with someone, although I suppose that could be part of it too. Sometimes it does, but it it really doesn't have to, and at the core of it, sharing our faith is making an announcement. And here at Calvary, we believe that Jesus is still alive. He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and he is in fact still risen from the dead and reigning on high. He is still proclaiming his kingdom. Now, he doesn't seem to do it as directly anymore, and You know, you hear stories of different places in the world. Many, many, many of our brothers and sisters have been uh, converted from Islam because Jesus showed up in their dreams or even showed up in almost vision experiences and, and preached the gospel to them. So he does still do it occasionally directly. But in our context, it seems he would rather work through us, and we can trust that he goes with us when we do. This means that we can rely on Jesus to do the heavy lifting in our evangelism. Jesus is responsible for the convincing, the saving, all of that. Our only job is to make the announcement. So what are we announcing? The good news. Specifically, the arrival of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus and his death and rising again. And this is what we find in verse 15, Jesus' message, the summary of his message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, in Jesus' day, this announcement that God's kingdom was was here, that God's kingdom was coming, that it was at hand, would have been very thrilling and very ominous for the people who heard it. The announcement carried a very heavy political, economic, and religious charge. If God's kingdom is here, then it's game over for the Roman Empire, who ruled over Israel at that time. It's heavy taxes, it's military brutality, it's disrespect of Israel's traditions. If God's kingdom is here, then that means the stuck-up priestly families running the temple are all about to get kicked out. It's the exodus and Joshua's conquest and David's victories all rolled into one. That's kind of the idea here of the kingdom of God is coming. 
And as I've kind of thought about it over the years, an image I feel like that might translate for us culturally is those scenes in the sci-fi movies where you see the flying saucer start hovering over the White House. Like it's that sort of a thing. That's a negative thing, obviously, but for those in power, the kingdom of God is a negative thing. Um, you see the flying saucer start hovering over the White House, and you know at that point that everything is about to change. The thrones and institutions we thought were powerful are suddenly revealed to be quite weak in the face of a greater power. Jesus' rule is good news for all of those who are weak, poor, suffering, mourning, lost, displaced, and robbed of voice. And so like Jesus, we announce the good news. We announce that the kingdom has come in the life, death, and rising again of Christ. He is the good king, and all who are united to him by faith share in his death and new life. Jesus is king, and he forgives his people's sins. That's good news. Jesus is king, and he gave us his Holy Spirit so that we would have power and gifts and courage to love and serve and suffer in his name. So do you have to include all of that every time you tell somebody the good news? Lucky for you, you do not. You do not have to say everything that it's possible to say. I don't say everything that's possible. You can't. People don't want to sit there for the length of a sermon, usually. You know, they don't, they don't want to hear everything all at once. Jesus is alive. He will handle the heavy lifting. And hopefully anyone that you do have the privilege of leading to Christ will join a good church that will teach them. Right? So it's not all on you. We are responsible to simply take the opportunity to announce the good news to the people God puts in our path. And I suggest, my suggestion for you, and this just comes from my own life and experience, is that you have your telling of the good news, your proclamation of the kingdom, take the form of your story, of your personal story. Leave aside the theology lesson that can come later and focus on what Jesus has done for you. How has your life changed? since you've been united to him? What have you learned from him? How has he given you greater righteousness, deeper peace, more explosive joy? People usually don't want to hear our religious opinions. And in fact, we don't want to hear their religious opinions. But they might be, and they generally are, more interested in hearing our story. Tell me about your life. And this is what we see throughout the gospel stories. Jesus shows up to heal or save or put right or forgive, and then people go tell all their friends. It's that easy. Jesus shows up and does his thing, and then they run around and go tell everyone. Even, as we see, especially in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus tells them not to at this point, but we'll get into that later. Everyone who has encountered Jesus is qualified and commanded to go and tell. So my first application for you this morning is to think about your Jesus story. If a coworker or a neighbor or a great uncle were to ask, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? How can you be so hopeful? What would you tell them? And this does happen, by the way. I think growing up when they would tell us, you know, one day some guy's going to come up to your cubicle and be like, so why are you so nice? <laughs> like I thought that that was kind of like a made-up thing, but it happens, right? We've had experiences where coworkers or whoever else, neighbors, People who are exposed to us do ask us why our lives are different. It's wise to think about your Jesus story before someone actually asks you for two reasons at least. One is that if all you can offer them in the moment is sort of a weak goulash of words about going to church and trying to be a nice person and yada, 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 
you will have failed in the task of, of telling them the good news. We need to be prepared to testify to what Jesus has done, and you can't be ready to do that if you haven't thought about your own Jesus story. And the second reason it's good to do this is because, generally speaking, the opportunities we are given are pretty brief. Uh, people, when they ask you about your faith, are not wanting a 45-minute documentary. And so it's good for us to have thought about our Jesus story so that we're able to give the whole thing in basically three to four minutes. Jesus himself had a summarized version of his message, which is what we find in verse 15. Right? That is a summation and a summary of all the other things he's going to say in Mark. There it is in chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And the last comment I want to make on the shape of evangelism regards who we are sharing our stories with. And often, this is true for me, maybe it's true for you, when we imagine sharing our faith, it tends to be with a person who is a stranger to us. Like it's just some person, we don't really ride buses around here very much, but some person on the bus or at the cafe or whatever, our neighbor, or you know your neighbor. But anyway, the person's a stranger. And while mission trips are great, door-to-door, cold calling has its place, we already know the people that God wants us to share the gospel with. Jesus started preaching in his home region of Galilee among people and places he knew and who knew him. Church, we cannot wait for some hypothetical unknown heathens to wander into your life and ask you to share the gospel with them. And that does happen occasionally, but we can't wait for that. You have people in your family, at work, at school, in your friend group, in your neighborhood that do not know the Lord. Those are the people he is calling you to share with, not some random person that you've never met before. We must take a lively and loving interest in the souls around us. Let us not leave them to perish. My second application is a question that I think requires an answer from every Christian. Who do I know who needs to know what Jesus has done for me? Who do I know who needs to know what Jesus has done for me? And this week, I really implore you and invite you to consider an answer to that question. Who do you know? And then pray for the Lord to give you an opportunity to tell them And I think sometimes we can force evangelism where it isn't appropriate to do so yet, right? And I think sometimes this happens, well, it definitely happens with strangers. I've had plenty of experiences in college, especially where we would knock on somebody's dorm door, interrupt whatever they were doing, sorry, were you taking a nap? It's time for Bible study, and sit and and walk them through all these things. And yeah, the Lord uses those occasionally to save people. He's faithful in that. But I think that we often will force those interactions where they're not appropriate to happen yet. And so I think it's very good and proper for us to ask the Lord, to be thinking of specific people, to ask him for an opportunity, and then to ask him for the courage and grace to take it when you see that door open. And you may be thinking, this is all great and wonderful, and I agree, but Ben, all of my friends are Christians. All of my family are Christians. So who am I supposed to share with? Well, I have a couple of responses to that. The first is that I would, well, I wouldn't wager because we don't do that kind of thing, but it's probably, I'll assert, how about that? I'll assert that it's probably not true that everyone you know is a Christian. 
I mean, we can talk about that if you feel like I'm incorrect, but I'm just putting that out there, that it's not actually true that all of your family and friends and everybody else are already Christians. I think my second response to that is that if that really is true, then I think the Lord might be inviting you to branch out and make some new friends. It's not bad. Most of my friends are Christians. It's the nature of what I'm doing is that I spend a lot of my time around other believers. In any case, folks who are already Christians also need to hear the good news for different reasons than somebody who is not saved or far from the Lord. But we still have the need to hear the good news. Your Christian friends and family, our church family, needs to hear your Jesus story, both for our encouragement. I've never heard a testimony that I wasn't encouraged by, and I think sometimes many of us receive the Lord's grace and generosity very early. I think for some of us, you've been a Christian your entire conscious life. You don't really remember a time at which you weren't. And I think that you hear other people's stories where whatever we were, you know, I don't know, doing whatever we were doing, and then the Lord, like the song, right? That song we sang, All I Have is Christ. Some of us, that's actually not our experience. We didn't feel like we were ever running a hell-bound race until Jesus grabbed us. But for others, myself, that is our experience, right? Both of those stories are good. Both of those stories are beautiful. Never be ashamed or feel like your testimony is somehow lacking in something because you don't have some, you know, oh, I was, again, I don't know what to come up with, you know, a beanie baby thief for the first 20 years of my life until, <laughs> hey, there's a lot of money in beanie babies. <laughs> no, there's not. I'm sorry. We wasted a lot of time in the mid to late 90s buying those things. Anyway, all of our testimonies are good and beautiful stories, and we need to hear yours. Christians need to hear one another's testimonies both for our encouragement and also, frankly, because it gives us good practice. I mean, I think one of the reasons, well, I, don't, I suppose I, I wouldn't say that I'm good at it, but one of the reasons I think I'm more familiar with it is because I have to do it all the time in front of a whole room full of people. That's pretty good practice. Non-believers and believers alike need to hear your Jesus story. And sharing our faith is one of the principal ways that we follow Jesus. He did it a lot. It looked a little different for him since the good news was about him personally, but he announced the kingdom everywhere he went. His kingdom has come, and so we tell the story of what Jesus has done for us, and occasionally we get the honor of seeing a person come to faith in Jesus for the first time. And while some Christians do have a special gift for evangelism, we think of Billy Graham or our former senior pastor Ken Sistrunk, Others that we know were very gifted. They had a gift from the Holy Spirit that they could just walk up to strangers and ask them if they'd heard the good news. And they went, no, tell us. You know, I mean, it's just, it's amazing what, what people with that gift are able to accomplish. But even with that, we are all responsible to tell the people who are within our reach. Again, we're not responsible to save them. We're not responsible to get them all the way from one end to the other. Our responsibility is to tell the story Church, never lose sight of the fact that sharing our faith is a great privilege and joy. The Creator has so arranged it that we can participate in men and women finding everlasting life in Christ. We get to testify to the greatest things that have ever happened to us, the hinges upon which the course of our life turned. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 15 with the words, repent and believe. Repent and believe. 
is the proper response to the good news, both from people becoming Christians for the first time and for people who have been following Jesus for a lifetime. Repent means to turn around, to take Jesus's path instead of your own. Many of us know, again, that we were headed for destruction before Jesus called us and showed us to a different path. Some of us have been walking Jesus' path basically our entire lives, but we know that Jesus is the only path to life. And Peter and the fishermen got that. They didn't get it totally, as we see throughout the story, but they understood enough to see that Jesus meant what he said, that the kingdom of God was coming in him. And so they left their nets, literally repented. They turned from what they were doing, and they followed him to become fishers of men. As a church, if you have never in your life and I imagine this is not true, but if it is, I don't want to condemn you, but I do want to challenge you. If you have never in your life had a spiritual conversation or shared your Jesus story with another human, today is a great day to repent and change your ways. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus, is to tell his story to others as he grants us the opportunity. There's grace. He knows it's difficult If you've noticed, a lot of my evangelism stories are a few years old now. It is hard to do. But we must learn to be ready to tell the good news. And believe is one of those difficult words that shifted quite a bit in meaning since the Bible's time. For us, to believe that something is true, or to believe something is just to think that it's true. But belief doesn't necessarily affect our lives. I could believe all, I don't believe these things, but I could believe all kinds of things like that the earth is flat, or that the mob had JFK killed, or whatever. I may think that those things are true, but those beliefs don't really make any difference to how I live my life. And I think Christians can stray into that quite a bit. We believe the good news, and we really do. We really do think that it's true. But at the end of the day, we act like ordinary Americans. And that word believe has a much stronger meaning in the Bible closer to the phrase, pledge allegiance. That's what Jesus is talking about. Thinking, about the, thinking the good news is true is good. That's a necessary part of it. But it means nothing if you don't repent and pledge your highest allegiance to Jesus. The way of our world, the systems of our world, are temporary and passing away. The United States, Iran, China, Mexico, our wars and rumors of wars, our apps, our snaps, our posts, our Olympics, our Super Bowls, our bank accounts, our credit, our medical debt, it's all passing away. Important and real, yes, but only for now. We are ambassadors of the permanent kingdom, friends of the king who is almighty and constantly kind. We believe in him. We pledge our allegiance to him because nothing else deserves our ultimate allegiance. It is a joy to share the good news because we have a role in seeing captives be freed, in seeing the powers of darkness be resisted and defeated. With every word of the gospel that leaves our mouths, we stamp on the serpent and trample the enemy. My friend Ding, and I've shared about him before, he was my roommate my junior year of college. He was from southern China, and he had never heard the gospel before in his life. But Ding was curious and suspected that there was more to life than worldly success. He saw something in my group of friends that he wanted, and since we all constantly talked about Jesus, he figured it probably had something to do with him. 
And so I told him, not because I was qualified, not because I had all the answers, but because I was the one who was there. I was the one who Ding asked. And I told Ding the good news, that Jesus was king because of his death on the cross and his rising again, and that all those united to him by faith received forgiveness, new life, restored relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And since Jesus is king, he demands our repentance and our allegiance. And Ding was quiet for a minute. And then he said, if this is true, my whole life will have to be different. Yes, yes indeed, Ding. <laughs> I want you to be clear on what you're getting yourself into. And it took him six months, but that next January, Ding pledged his allegiance to Jesus and started following him. Just like Peter and the other fishermen, just like all of us, may we, church, repent and believe the good news. May we follow Jesus and learn to fish for the men and women he puts in our path, proclaiming the good news in the midst of fear, sickness, and all the other ways death and attention vandalize our lives. May we testify to what the Lord has done, witness to his love, announce his boundless generosity. May we do what Jesus does. Pray with me. Father, we are again very thankful for this day. Lord, we are so profoundly thankful for what Jesus has done for each of us. Lord, thank you for saving us, forgiving our sins, bringing us into your family as beloved daughters and sons. Thank you for the new life and the hope we have because Jesus walked out of the tomb three days after they killed him. And Lord, thank you that even now we believe and trust and know that you are the ruler of all things, that you hear us when we pray. Lord, help us as your people to proclaim the kingdom to the men and women you've put in our lives. Lord, I pray for this week that every person in church today would see an opportunity to share the good news with someone in their life, Christian or not. And I ask, Lord, for your mercy in your generosity and your courage that we would take those opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.